Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. There are spoilers ahead. This is a movie and TV show podcast, and if you don't want spoilers, well... Wee woo wee woo! (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Just a Tangent Podcast with Tyler Brewer and Greg Miller, where we talk about movies, TV, and everything in between. Hello and welcome to Just a Tangent. This is Greg Miller and Tyler Brewer, and uh, it's been quite a quite a second since we recorded. A lot has happened since uh, we got some uh, good content to talk about. Yeah, actually, s- some uh, things that we've seen since our last one that should actually fill an episode. Yeah. So uh, that's that's the one bad thing about the. Um, gonna adjust my mic. One bad thing about the movie and TV industry right now is it's kind of it's a little bit of a lull compared to what it used to be and so content doesn't come out as fast Um, yeah a lot of the stuff we're seeing right now was recorded either just prior or during covid yeah um at least during covid lockdowns so yeah um pretty sure top gun was done i mean i think it was supposed to release i think in 2021 maybe or maybe even to summer of 2020 right after shutdowns happened and things like that and um and tom cruise cared enough like he's he's a big a big uh cheerleader i guess for things being in theaters rather than yeah. streaming and um he, he even had it in the in the beginning of his um in the beginning of top gun yeah Maverick. yeah he he says that he he made it for us but i mean everybody can have their own opinion but i mean uh i really think that he was the the biggest driving factor at it not getting to a streaming service before now and it mm-hmm. finally releasing. So it's funny, you know, they're going around on the um on the promotion circuit basically to late night shows and things like that. And some of that stuff was pre recorded, you know, long before now, but if it's live or, or newer, Tom Cruise looks a little bit different than how he does in yeah. in Maverick almost yep. a, I mean, I think he has aged pretty well, but I think from when they filmed Top Gun Maverick to now I feel like he he it shows that he aged a bit. Yeah. Same with the uh, same with the Stranger Things crew. That a lot of that was filmed right before, and I think they were in, maybe in the middle of it. That's why they split the release. I yeah. think I th- I'm pretty sure. You know the the second the, I'm sorry the final two episodes of season four were in production maybe whenever the lockdowns happened, so they had to wait mm. and they they could basically release it in two parts. And I th- I think the same thing with the boys. The boys also released part of season three and then they finished it up. Um, a little that's, bit, a little yeah, bit later. that's interesting. Um, so yeah. it, it's just showing that, you know, a lot of people had things in the pipeline and whenever COVID happened, it, it shut it down and it's just now releasing. That goes to show you how long it takes to, you know, do production and post-production and things like that and and uh, basically get, you know, things ready to go for release. Um, same with Terminal List. Terminal List claims that they're a big, big driving factor of work and production during covid yeah um and that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize is just how much work goes into um the behind the scenes and it's not just behind the scenes like oh when they're shooting and stuff like there are months and months of planning and storyboarding and um they essentially do like thumbnails and and um like screen tests and they previs like all this stuff goes into um production before they even get on set 
and a lot sometimes even before they even have their actors. Yeah, because they have to have the story written. They have to have the screenplay pretty much polished. That way, when they do the casting, yeah, they know who they're looking for. And I know Jack Carr talked a lot about that whenever they were doing casting for for Terminal List. Um, they had a lot of characters doing things that really don't show up or appear on the show, because once those actors were casted, they brought their own thing to each of those characters, and then from there, they kind of get rewritten yeah. on the spot almost, um, and at, at least throughout pre-production. So I think it's pretty neat that they let actors kind of do a little bit of creative freedom, like they did, you know, screen tests and, mm. and you know, some rehearsals and things like that, where they're just reading off of paper against one another, and um, I think that they just brought, you know, some unique things that maybe allowed them to alter you know, maybe a book character to a real life character yeah. uh, on the screen. So, yeah. Um, I, one thing that I really liked about um, the last couple of weeks is we actually got to meet. Well, I guess it's more more so like a month and a half ago now, but we got to meet Jack Carr. Yeah, so they, yeah. He was on his book tour for In the Blood, and he was in Cleveland. And Greg and I road tripped from Pittsburgh to Cleveland uh, after I got off work an evening, and. Um, Got to make it out there for a reading and um, and a book signing and and uh, was able to chat with him for for a little bit. We each got some pictures with him, um, but super nice guy. Couldn't have been nicer to me. Um, him and I talk briefly on on social media every now and then, and he's always nice enough to take the time to reply yeah. to me and things like that. So always appreciate it. Um, but him and I both have Land Cruisers, so we were able to hit it off about that topic at least for, yeah, for the 10 he, minutes while he was signing all my stuff. Yeah, it was cool. He, he asked, he was asking about, um, he was asking if he had brought it. And so it was like, he, yeah. he, he was able to put a, a face to a name in that moment, which was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Cause whenever I purchased it, I tagged him in some photos and he saw it and we kind of conversed about it. So yeah, it but, was cool. um, the entire time I was like, I think Chris Pratt's going to be here. Yeah. Greg kept thinking, which is funny you say that. So there was actually a Terminal List podcast that he's doing with with Dave DiGilio, their showrunner, and Jared Shaw, which is one of the he's one of the producers and a former SEAL on Terminal List. But they're going episode by episode and talking about some behind the scenes things. And one of the things he brought up was that one of the actors uh, showed up to one of his book signings with him. But it was oh, uh, cool. it was the guy that plays Commander Cox. I can't recall his name off the top of my head, but uh, he did a pretty good job in the show. At playing that role, and um, yeah, he he just said that he showed up to a book signing with him, and and it was you know both of them there. So I was like, eh, I guess what Greg was claiming could happen wasn't too far off. But Greg, yeah, the whole way there, um, and even when we got there, Greg was claiming that Chris Pratt could show I was up like, with Jack Carr to this book reading. I'm so excited to see Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though it was clear that he wouldn't be there, Greg yeah. Greg was adamant that he, that it was already pre planned that. And he accepted that Chris Pratt would be there. And we got in there and, uh, you know, it's it's a auditorium basically. And there's two seats up front. And he goes, Tyler, look, there's two chairs, yeah. one for Chris Pratt and one for Jack Carr. And I'm yep. like, he's not coming, Greg. <laughs> but I was insistent. I was like, if I can speak it into existence, it will happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but no, that was a great event. Uh, it was awesome to meet him in person. Hopefully uh, I can catch him at another book signing at some point in the future for maybe book six, if he comes this way. Yeah. Um, but moving forward, uh, pretty much this episode, we're going to talk about TV series and shows that we've we've been watching since our last episode of this podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing right off the top that I wanted to say was thanks to Chris and Mike from the No Limits Thriller podcast. They invited me on to be a guest um, last week, 
And uh, hopefully you're going to invite me back on for another episode. Looking yeah, forward it to was, it. It was great. Um, I didn't get to listen to all of it because um, I just I was on a mission trip last week yeah. whenever the episode came out. But I did get to listen to some of it. And uh, and it was pretty, pretty cool. Um, the fact that they were able to have you on and yeah. that you brought so much to the conversation yeah. was awesome. It was a fun time for sure. Uh, I enjoyed hanging out with those guys and just talking about a couple episodes specifically um, for the terminal list. Um, so hopefully you get to join them again soon. But uh, guys, if you're listening, thanks for having me on. Um, but uh, so TV series, Greg, other than other than maybe like the big three we're going to talk about, which is Terminal List, Stranger Things and The Boys. Yep. Have you watched any other TV series lately? Um, well, so the the Stranger Things season that we'll be talking about is obviously season four. But um, Maddie and I, Maddie's my sister. Um, for those of you listening, but uh, we went back and and started at season one um, and watched season one and two. So essentially, I we watched season four, volume one together, and then we went back and watched one and two because we were like so excited for Stranger Things and we were on like such a Stranger Things high that we um, that we just wanted to keep the characters going um, and and like keep that relationship, if you will. Um, and we were just pumped for volume two to come out, so went back and watched them. Um, and there was a lot of, it was cool seeing what they had in season four, um, because there was like some flashback stuff with Eleven in the, in the lab and seeing how that directly cannot, uh, connected and, and tied in, um, to season one and how accurate their, their writing was, was pretty cool. Um, season two, I forgot how good of a character Bob was. Um, yeah. So that was cool. As far as other shows, um, it's cool that he's in there, uh, just because he was a huge actor in the eighties. Um, and you know, that whole group is very into D and D into, into fantasy. And they even yeah. reference Lord of the Rings, uh, books because the movies weren't out at the point that the show takes place, but they reference Lord of the Rings, which he played Samwise Gamgee. And then, um, you know, he was in, um, the Goonies. Yeah. which is a big inspiration, I think, for the coming-of-age seasons of that show prior to them being, you know, just pre-adult, um, which is basically just season four, so like one through three, I think, you know, Goonies had a big influence on that yeah. show. It's cool um, It's cool how how much of a character each of the different seasons of Stranger Things have. Um, they're all very unique. Um, so it was cool to see that. Maddie and I, um, she likes Grey's Anatomy, so I've been watching that with her. Um, and, and honestly, the cast of characters that are on the show in the beginning of, um, in the beginning of Grey's Anatomy, I, I don't, I actually don't mind seeing like their relationships and, and how they play off of one another. Yeah. I've heard that a lot of them kind of go, uh, later in the series. So I probably won't be very interested in that. Um, but in the, in the little bit of, that I've watched so far, it hasn't been too bad actually, um. Everyone, you can send your apology letter straight to Greg that uh, you're sorry that he had to watch Grey's Anatomy with his sister. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things. It's like, even though it's not my first pick, it's something Maddie likes, so I'm not going to be like, hey, let's let's watch something yeah. different. Yeah. So, so um, my wife Allison and I went back and watched uh, all of Stranger Things leading up to, you know, into season four, and I think we had about a week break before the, the part two of season four came out, and if we were both, like, ch you know, chomping at the bit to see what happens. Yeah. Was, it, was that her first time watching through them? Um, I think her and I had watched season one and part of two maybe a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ne neither of us had finished two, I don't think, and, and we definitely didn't watch three. So Yeah, because she, she likes that genre, right? The kind of like yeah. thriller 
kind of horror. Yeah, yeah. Plus, genre. it has a little bit of a th- of a horror aspect to it. But yeah, definitely noticed in season four. I think with the kids getting more mature, I think the the horror element is definitely a little bit more serious. Yeah, um, you can definitely see influences of other films. Um, in Stranger Things, like for instance, I really think season one is is the Goonies. Yep. Um, season two is questionable. That's maybe maybe more. I don't know. Even that's like a little bit like Stand by Me, but that's also a, a coming of age movie. Yeah, season but, two I I see very much as yeah. Stand by Me, especially three, with the train tracks. Yeah, three the horror element is definitely the thing from John Carpenter in yep. the eighties. Um, they even reference it in in the in the show with the the villain basically being able to assimilate and take over people in town. You don't know who is good and who is bad. That's the basic plot framework of the yep. thing. And then season four is definitely. And again, they reference it in that season is definitely influenced by Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, yeah. Which is very apparent with the bad guy, you know, being in dreams. You don't know when it's a dream and when it's real. Uh, he has a messed up claw hand. It's yeah. just like Freddy Krueger's blades, blade, the, blade glove. And uh, the guy who plays Victor Creel in that show is the same dude who plays yeah. Freddy Krueger, Yes, right? yes, he is. Yeah. Um, which so, is funny. He, he's been making appearances in shows I watch too. You know, uh, in, in uh, Supernatural, he was a doctor that was he was like an anesthesiologist which is funny because he put people to sleep yeah and freddy krueger attacks people in their dreams so it was just cool that he made a little cameo in that show as well but um yeah he he has a cameo well it's less of a cameo more of a full-time role in uh stranger things season four where he plays victor creel um but there's even a section of it where they even mention that it's just like freddy krueger's boiler room and there is an area of upside down or in the dream where um vecna takes Yep, the victims, and yep. it it is just like the boiler room and and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, and I think that's something that um, the Duffer Brothers have done uh, really well is they take um, they take inspirations from these from these different um, you know movies and properties from from the eighties. Um, my film teacher in high school went. It was like right around the time when the first season of Stranger Things came out, so it was very fresh. You know, everyone was it, the craze was just starting up, and she was like. She essentially said she wasn't a fan. She didn't like it, and she was kind of against it because it took so much from those. Um, but as I watched the show more and more, I mean, I, I liked it from the beginning, but as I watched the show more and more, I saw that they were able to take those um, different elements, but they the writing was original, and the, the characters were so different. Um, each character is so different from one another that whenever you see them all on screen together, it feels like something new, and it's it feels like it's its own thing. So I don't I don't feel like it's just a copy of other properties. It, they they tie in those like they tie in those ideas and and themes uh, pretty well. Yeah, I feel like I think um, I think rather than like stealing it or <clears throat> you know bar- borrowing the, that kind of stuff, I really feel like that show pays homage to that genre and those things in the eighties that are that are pop pop culture now. Yeah, um, you know if you go and look at Star Wars. There is a film that's in black and white called The Dam Busters, I believe, and um, the end scene in The Dam Busters is nearly identical to the trench run in, in A New Hope. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you're worried about or upset about people stealing things, people in the film industry in the set in the 70s, especially, but also in the 80s, claim that George Lucas stole everything. Um, you can almost draw back or, you know, point out things in Star Wars uh, from the original trilogy that or in other films or literature that, that aren't original. Yeah. Um, but it's just funny how people pick and choose what to point out that 
oh, that's stolen. That's that's too much alike yeah. something else that I hold near and dear. Um, and, yeah, and, and therefore I shouldn't support it because they're they're stealing what made that other thing special. But it's in my opinion, Stranger Things is more paying homage to those uh, original original or blah, if I can speak original um, ideas and plots. Yeah, and, and I mean movies and books and and all kind of uh, content. They they've been doing it since the beginning essentially beginning of time i mean it's called illusion yeah whenever you're um suspension of disbelief yeah you know yeah and it it whenever you're alluding to other works it's it's understanding that like you know for example if something were to reference like moby dick or cat in the hat or or um you know even the bible you, you know the things um that are contained in those stories and in that content and so it gives you a better understanding of what the, you know the message that they're trying to convey and what they're trying to show um because you already have a baseline understanding of those other works whether yeah. they be fiction or, or real like that people do it all the time i mean it's just it's uh kind of silly for them to yeah. crap on something now if it's like very clearly like I don't know if you were to look at uh, Bugs Life and Ants, right? They came out at the same yeah. time. Very clearly, one's one's better than the other. Yeah. Um, not that they were like copying each other. No, but, but... Th that's weird that that happens. You know how, how how can it happen that like you know planning, pre-production, pro production, and post-production, and then release lineup? There there's um there's quite a few movies that are d dual like that, like Ants and Bugs Life came out in the same year, same summer, I think. There's other movies that are like, you know, world-ending movies, and, and one is clearly better or more popular than yeah, the other. The but Prestige they, and The Illusionist. Yeah, th there's stuff like that. Pl there's plenty we could point out. And, of course, the ones I wanted to talk about are escaping me right now, but they, they weren't going to be anything too much to talk about. But there was, yeah. there's one, I think, you know, it's some sort of world-ending world event. Uh, was it... Was um, it um... Not 2012. No, uh, I mean, there's Day After Tomorrow, but that was beforehand. Um, there's another one. We I were just talking about this the other day. There's another one I feel like it's like Tremors for some reason, and then one that's similar to Tremors, but they both came out in the same year. But yeah, it's okay. We can move on. Yep. But all together, uh, Stranger Things, best moments is uh, the two musical pieces in season four so far. Uh, the Kate Bush running up that hill scene with Max and the awesome Metallica Master of Puppets oh, scene. It was so good. Um, is good. I did, and I really thought that the Max scene was like going to be like the scene of the season and that it wouldn't be able to be beat. And then the, the Master of Puppets. Scene, yeah, I think it, I think in my opinion, edges it a little bit and yep. and and beats it out as as a cooler scene. Yeah, um, just the way it's edited and the music fits everything really well. Um, whenever Metallica's playing, Max is basically stuck in Vecna's house and she's seeing uh, Billy, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and somehow they get him his appearance and him smacking the sauna door to line up with the music. Oh, like was, the editing is perfect. Yeah, and, and that. I mean, it, they pulled that footage straight from. They didn't reshoot that. That was yeah. footage straight from the other yeah. from the other season. And I mean, that that really goes to show how how intentional they had to be with how they shot that. But yeah, it, it was so good. I think it can even go back to um, what's it called? Whenever they have a mechanical crane and they do a motion, they record it, and it can the mechanical crane can recreate it identically. Yeah, it's a. Um, uh, it's a computer controlled rig. Yeah. So I feel so. like that that the scene where Billy's stuck in the sauna in season three is was very intentionally saved mm -hmm. with those angles of the because if you go back and look, the camera is behind all of the main cast 
and moving in a certain way. And they recreate that in that scene where, where Max is facing the wall and Billy's at the sauna door. So they yeah. just, they can just comp in the sauna door at the same distance, same camera movement yeah. and everything. Yeah. And I think what they probably would have done was they, they would have had, um, you know, if they had any VFX that they did in season three, they would have had motion tracking, which yeah. they can use um, to do like a, a motion controlled rig. I think um, a lot of that scene, other than maybe like the the fumes from the pipes and stuff, are are, are all practical. I think that that's you know yeah. a, a prop door, and you know the chain might uh, the chain might be legit because it does bend that water pipe. Yeah, um, from what I recall, and then it starts steaming. Maybe the steam is even practical, but I think it looks a little, little CG ish. Yeah, but um, I mean, there's always those added things, and I'm sure they added, you know, fog to the glass when Billy's yelling yeah. at it and things like that. It is a little blurry. It's not a clear window when he's yeah, in there because he's supposed to be in a sauna, right? Um, and I think for for productions like Stranger Things, I mean, now that they're on season three, four, like those those had much higher budgets than the first two, but they yeah. they shoot a lot of stuff practically because that's how it was done in the eighties and they're trying to recreate that feel. Um, but what they probably did for season four with that scene with Billy behind the door is they probably shot, um, in season three, they probably shot things by hand or, or on a, on a rig, um, that wasn't motion controlled. Um, and then in season four, if they wanted to, they could recreate what the motion was of the camera movement in season three and have that computer-controlled rig come in and do it because it's really expensive to bring those on set. Um, like you essentially have like one or two shots that you can you can do with that um, yeah. to where it's actually worth it because otherwise it's it's a lot of money. Um, I think a lot of those crane-style shots in the upside down when when the when the Metallica song is going on is is pretty cool too. Yeah. But uh, oh, the, the transition from the the one crew riding their bikes and then it like goes into yeah. the ground and it comes up and the other crew is is on the other side. Yeah. Um, in the upside down. I riding. love I love it's how really they brought cool. back the headlights from, you know, season one and two on the bicycles yep. at night and they're using it in the upside down. And then I also like the call back to uh, Max's Michael Myers mask from Halloween in season two. Yes, I think. Yep. Yeah. Season two, uh, whenever they're going, uh, whenever they're going trick or treating and she yeah. scares them. I like Max. Max is my second favorite character, I think, but uh, Steve's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think one thing that Stranger Things has done really well, and that I saw in season four with the perfect example uh, with Eddie's character, is they can bring in characters that you love, and they they develop them so well within that season. Yeah, that within only a few episodes. Yeah, of I mean, being, you being look a, at Bob. A, a running coward and scared to somebody who's. Uh, done done running basically but yeah, yeah even bob yeah yeah bob they brought him in um and he was a really lovable character and there was a, a lot of depth to him um and then th- what happens is whenever you bring in characters like that and you kill them off um th- it actually has an impact because they spent the time to yeah. tell their story and i think bob was annoying for a long time but then he ends up becoming useful and you know putting the the correct uh, foot forward with his principles and his yep. morals. Yeah. It, so that, that makes him likable. Yeah. It's whenever he comes over um, to help like sort through what's going on with the drawings all over the place. Yeah. And he finds out that it's a map of Hawkins. That's really when it's like, I, I love this guy. Yeah. That's the first time when I, lo- when you actually like him, I think. And yeah. I think it's done purposefully like that. I think yep. he's supposed to be annoying. And, and whenever, whenever, you know, um, Will's mom, uh, what's Will's mom's name? Uh, Joyce. Yeah. Myers. Whenever Joyce is trying to get rid of Bob, um, 
it's just so annoying. You just want him to go away. And then um, I think it's very on purpose that he goes from that being annoying guy to yeah. uh, very useful and helpful. Yeah, so. there's there's something about it because I, I mean I watched season two whenever it first came out, and then but then rewatching it, I still get. I still get chills, just minor chills, whenever he says, it's a map. Yeah. It's a map of Hawkins. Yeah. And he's just standing there. And it, I don't know, for some reason, it reminds me of the Goonies, like the, the excitement yeah. behind that. Yeah, for sure. He definitely brings that that characterization back to that, to his character in Stranger Things. But um, yeah. I What uh what do you think of, of what they did with the, um, with the sequences with uh, Eleven and like how she was working through her memories? I thought it was cool. I like the jumps and scenes, you know, when the lights are on and they'll go out and then she's she's that younger version of herself. But in her own memory, she's, you know, you're viewing her as an adult. I think that was smart for, for budget reasons. You don't want to get connected to a version of 11, of 11 that's digital because that is a, a fake young 11 yeah. that they're showing when she's super short. Um, but it was cool that they showed it. I mean, it made sense to kind of remind everyone. And they did it every so often to remind you that she was a very young child when that happened. I think yeah. that that portion is supposed to take place in the 70s, early 70s, I think. Um, uh, yeah, that would have been, I mean, the the first season of Stranger Things. Yeah, but that whole, that whole thing with Henry and number, you know, Henry slash number one, that whole fight scene when she when she pushes him into the upside down. I feel like that takes place in the seventies. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. My, my dad and I were talking and, um, and it, initially after volume one came out and we were waiting for volume two, we were talking and I, I, we, we thought that it was directly before the start of season one. Like she, she essentially killed Henry. Um, and you know, he got turned to, Turned to ash or whatever, and sent into the upside down. Got whatever tur- happened there, the, got turned into the emperor. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, <laughs> he got uh, he got uh, he got geeked. Needless to say, yeah. but um, but we thought that that she then immediately went into the drain pipe and came out the other side. But I thought in volume two, it kind of alluded that like more testing was done after that. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, I I could be wrong with that. And but... I think I think that it's a little confusing too because I think that it's. A lot of viewers, I mean, myself included, that I thought that the younger version of herself almost looked too childish compared right. to how she looks in season one. Yeah. And I think that's on purpose because it takes place years before season one even takes place. Yeah. You got to remember, you know, it's not a cracked wall in season one. They already have that thing open with a full facility, testing, sending guys in, you know, yeah. th- things like that. They're, they're test- they've been testing for a while. Yeah. And so I think... Uh, I think they did a good job um, de-aging her, and um, yeah, there was—I don't remember the exact part, but I think it was a line of dialogue um, or something with Brenner where it led me to believe that even after that fight happened at the end of um, at the end of uh, Volume One, where she pushes him into the wall, yeah, um, that there was more testing that was done. So that that whole like flashback sequence would have been like right before '83. Um, or sometime before 83, because that's the year that the first season takes place. So yeah, it would have been, it would make sense that she looks younger. Yeah. So, so I, I'm curious to see, um, what the corridor crew, um, says about the, yeah. the de-aging. Cause I, it, it was definitely passable. Um, but it looks passable, different. but only because they do so little with it. They, they yeah. show you a flash of her in that, in that time period and then move her back to how you yeah. know her. It was cool to see what they did with the mirror stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
real quick, uh, Obi Wan. We both watched it. What do you think? Oh yeah, I totally forgot about Obi Wan. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I will say, um, I will say that I really liked the end of the series, and there were some notable moments that I think were really good. I I think more or less it was just kind of a a missed opportunity um, for some things, and that's what really. That's what really bugs me about the writers right now in yeah. in some of the Star Wars. Um, yeah, I feel like properties. you're you're able to bring back those actors and bring back those characters like with, with, right. with support after 18 years, and that's the best you could come up with. And I do, I am aware that that script line was was submitted as a feature length trilogy, which would be you know let's just say three two-hour movies six hours we got six episodes it would have been the same thing maybe a little bit higher quality um, because from what i understand their budget was pretty weak for that and it kind of shows a little bit Mm -hmm. um but i really think a lot of their stuff that they do is directly again stolen directly lifted from uh jedi fallen order yeah uh the way that the obi-wan breaks into the Inquisitor's base is the same. A lot of things that happen inside are the same um, as what happens in Jedi Fallen Order. So, and that game is supposed to be canon. Um, but it was just just a little too similar for me. But uh, I like the actress that played the young Leia. The, the new plot hole for me is she in A New Hope, she acts like Obi-Wan Kenobi as a stranger with her message that she puts inside R2. Yeah, it's like somebody that her family talked about Yeah, she knew of. Yeah, never, exactly. Never really and knew. I understand that she knows him as Ben um, and not Obi-Wan, but whenever your dad is telling you to go get help from a Jedi that you that, that he knew, um, I think it would be a little too obvious as an adult, you know, or even as a young adult. But, yeah. Um, yeah, because if you look at the timeline, there's only like what seven? It's like seven years or something um, between the end of episode, um, the episodes. What would what would that be? Uh, three and four. How long are you saying? I think they're supposed to be twenty years. Twenty, yeah, twenty years. But this it, is the ten, uh, I'm sorry, this I'm is sorry, like the ten year mark. Yeah, th- there's only like seven to ten years between uh, Obi Wan and Episode Four. Is is what I meant. Um, yeah, because it this is supposed to be ten years after Episode Three. It's been a decade um, since the events on Mustafar and everything like that. And then there's another like seven to ten years after that. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, with uh, with Obi Wan, I think that it was, um, I think that it was a, a decent. Um, had a decent ending. It had some notable moments, like the lightsaber fight between um, Vader and Reva, um, where he doesn't even use his lightsaber and just beats her using the Force. Yeah, I'm just it's upset cool. with this season with how many people survive chest stabbing. Yeah, with the lightsaber is stupid, and I really didn't care for Reva. I mean, people are sticking up for her, and I, I, I think that she is a poorly written character. Yep, I understand her backstory. I understand why she's doing and what she's doing and why, <clears throat> but. Like Eddie Munson from Stranger Things is an example of how you can write a character in a season to be likable and be well written. And they're just introduced in that season. Yeah, and I'm not saying Reva's supposed to be likable, but no. she's just like on this warpath against Vader secretly, and she's just she comes off as annoying. And I yeah. wish she wasn't in there at all. Yeah, I I think it's I think it is interesting um, to show her. 
as being a youngling who survived. I think that's like an interesting yeah. idea. But um, you know, one of one of my friends, um, they they said like there was just something about her that felt like she didn't even fit in like the Star Wars universe. Like not not only that she didn't feel like an inquisitor, but it it just her character just felt like she didn't quite belong. Like her writing yeah. was just different. Definitely weird. So I know um while we were paused for a second, Greg wants to jump back to Stranger Things real quick and then <laughs> after that we are gonna get into my most anticipated show so far this yeah, year, which is the terminal list. Yeah. You're uh I know you're chomping at the bit but yeah it was it was a really good show but yeah i just wanted to go through um i thought it'd be good um to kind of talk about just one one thing about each of the the main characters um because we only have one season left and it's been cool to see how they've um how all these characters have grown in their arcs but also just like how they've been kids and now that they're going into adulthood like it's very cool to see see how that's gone so yeah i just um we just pulled it up on um, Rotten Tomatoes and went to the character list and we're just gonna you know hit every one of the main characters starting with Joyce um, I will say I think that it was really cool to see um, she wasn't in like a constant state of panic in this season yeah which was a relief yes um, she kind of has her handle on things and is more informed on what's going on and I think that that maybe helps her make decisions I mean whenever the stuff happens with with Hopper and there's maybe an inkling or even a chance that he might be alive and that he could be rescued. Um, I think when I think it's Murray asks her where she's going after they figure out that there's like a ransom. Yeah. And she says to the bank. And like that's kind of surprising. I mean, if you think about the Joyce Byers from season one, two, or even three, um, I feel like there'd be a ton more hesitation and uh just just worried about Will, basically. But now that yeah. he's seemingly okay, even though clearly isn't um that uh she just jumps right into things as long as it involves hopper pretty much yeah it was cool to see it was cool to see that like it she's trusting her kids now and she's trusting um she's trusting the the friends that are around will and and jonathan yeah and it's like it's that alone shows how much the the characters have grown um how much the kids have grown because she doesn't really have to worry about this. She actually lies to them about what she's doing. Yeah, um, which is funny because they always lie to her about what they're doing. Yep. So I thought it was a cool little twist yep. on how things are working. Um, pretty much nobody is where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but moving on to Hopper, I think his evolution is, I, I think the most cool thing that we learn about Hopper through all of the series is in this season and that I believe he states that he got drafted to fight in Vietnam, and he was part of the group <clears throat> that dispersed Agent Orange, yeah. And uh, which is a huge deal. And it also really, I mean, it's it's clear to me from the amount that he drinks and what he does that he was a vet, that he was a veteran of some kind. But obviously, he had to get drafted when he was young to do this. Um, yeah, because I don't know what age he's supposed to be, but you know, clearly he's not like this old disgruntled vet. Not only that, but Vietnam wouldn't have taken that long, take, taken place that long ago in this timeline. Um, and so I really like that, like that explains why he drinks so much, why he acts the way he acts. Um, you know, we kind of got an explanation of why he treats Eleven as a daughter. Um, and Joyce is probably in the next season going to be treated as, as a wife more than anything. Yeah. Um, 
but I really think the explanation for his drinking and his views on things and his life experiences um, and what he values as being important is explained a lot better with him being a veteran from yeah. Vietnam. And come on, I mean, probably one of the coolest moments from season four was Hopper with a sword. Like we not not only any sword, but Conan the Barbarian's uh, real prop sword from the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah, um, which is pretty cool. I saw it lay in there, and before it was even confirmed, I was like, "That's that looks exactly like Conan's sword," and it wasn't a look like it was the exact prop from the same prop house. That's yeah, it's incredible, and you know, we'll kind of talk about. Um, this with some of the other characters, but one thing that was really different about season four is, you know, up until now they've used D and D as a way to explain what's happening. And this is almost like their characters, uh, um, like the, the actual characters in the show are becoming the characters that they would have played in D and D. Yeah. And so Hopper is becoming like this, this warrior and you see him with the sword at the end of season four. And it's like, he has become the, like the, almost like the knight in shining armor. He, he's become like the, the leader who's gone through the mud and the mire and he's lost the people that he's loved. And like, he's finally, he's finally, you know, come to this point where he's at the end of, uh, or like the arc, the climax of his campaign. If he were, you know, in D and D it was really cool. Yeah. And, um, going into 11, uh, in, in transitioning in between Hopper and 11, one thing that we see, um, that really, I didn't notice ever until I saw a video about it, but, um, there is uh, a blue hairband from Ho uh, Hopper's daughter, um, Sarah, and in some of the seasons, Hopper's wearing it. You, you can see it in, in Sarah's hair um, in some of the flashbacks, um, but then Hopper wears it on his wrist, and then eventually he gives that to Eleven, um, and you can see Eleven wearing it. I think some in season three, but definitely here in season four, you see it around her wrist, and uh, it's like this... this um, kind of symbolism of adoption you know with with hopper taking her in yeah. his family you know? yeah and i really think their relationship uh through from last season into this one you know i think it's season three for sure where it's a very father-daughter feel i think season two they're separated for a good bit of it obviously but uh season three i think you know that's the leave the door open three inches season things like that and you know you need to eat something other than egos um and, and some stuff like that. And all the way into this one, I think that arc really starts in season three. Yeah. Because there aren't any other big callbacks to seasons one or one or two with their relationship. I mean, they really don't have that much of a relationship in season one, but even season two, there's not really that many callbacks in season four to like things in season two. So yeah. in my opinion, that arc, they really wanted to end here where, you know, he returns and she says that she kept the door open three inches and things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Le leaving, leaving space to, to allow that relationship to really become like the father daughter. Um, yeah. And I think, um, one of the cool things with, with 11 in this year, in this season, um, it was, it's kind of tragic to see, but it was cool to gain an understanding of just like how much she really went through and all the testing that was really done and, and, um, how much trauma she faced as, you know, little nine, 10, 11 year old girl who, um, just really should never have had to face that. But then she really, you know, she uses that for, for good. But, uh, moving on to Mike, um, he looked really weird in this season, which I think was on par for like their band of misfits. Um, yeah. but yeah, the hair was not it. 
Um, I think so too. <laughs> um, <clears throat> season four was also included the one. I mean, he goes to visit her, and uh, you know she's she's lying to him basically, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which I thought was kind of odd for her and her character. I mean, she she's obviously new to this. She is very socially naive and very socially. I wouldn't say awkward, but socially young compared to the other people that are, she's around. Yeah, she's very not, innocent. Yeah, not... She doesn't understand how the yeah, world works. She, yeah, she doesn't understand, you know, people picking on her. She doesn't understand that she shouldn't lie to, to Mike, even though she, even she holds other people accountable when they lie, which I thought was kind of bullshit that she goes around lying left and right to Mike's face, but, you know, she she tries to hold other people, people accountable, yeah. both before and after that. But, um, and, you and know... Will, Will calls her out on it. Will yeah. calls her out and says something to Mike. So like Will's that constant of like, yeah. like what are we doing here? Like why why are we allowing our friend group to to do this? Yeah. Um but yeah, Mike played his part pretty well. I think him being viewed as like the main character is is kind of over. And I really feel like Mike is the main character of season one, maybe even two. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he kinda he kinda helps point the group in the right direction. Um wouldn't say like leader, like he doesn't give the pep talk, but I feel like he gets more screen time than everybody else. But honestly, in like three and maybe f- uh, definitely four, I feel the most like this, but really feel like he's been getting less screen time. Yeah. Maybe the same, <clears throat> excuse me, the same as, you know, most of the other characters. Yeah. Um, I will say it was cool. I did like the interaction um, in volume one whenever, um, whenever they Mike and 11 kind of have their fight and she's like, you know, you send all these letters, but you can't even say it in your letter that you love me. He's like, um, from Mike, from Mike, from Mike. And she's, yeah. you know, that, that kind of builds up a little bit of emotion there. Cause like, you know, yeah, and they've I, been I, together since season I, one. And then you yeah. realize like things aren't, things aren't like this, you know, sunshine yeah. and rainbows. Well, They're I mean, it's not necessarily that sun, sunshine and rainbows. You might, you know, it might seem like, they're in not that great of a place when you talk to Eleven, but when if Mike were to to say what's going on, it's just that he's nervous to to maybe commit that in words. Yeah, it was cool to see that how how much reality they brought there because you know they're still kids. Um, yeah, and so to them, like that's that's a big deal, you know. Yeah, I think so too. Um, <clears throat> but uh, moving on to Dustin, I think. I like Dustin and Steve team up more than Dustin and Eddie, but I mean Eddie doesn't work with anybody as well as he work, works with Dustin, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah. But um Dustin is still that kind of brainstormer character in this season where he kind of comes up with a plan or helps, you know, alter plans as needed. Yeah. Um I feel like he's kind of been in that role since the, since towards the beginning. Yeah, he's kind of played that like smart ass character who is is typically right but he just like leans into that and they even you know they have a line of dialogue i think steve says it's like this kid needs an ego check like, yeah yeah and i i think with uh dustin um I, i've always liked his character and i like steve but it was there was something a little bit different about him this time i think he was um i mean he was a little bit more mature but he uh yeah, it, there was just like a different feeling. I I still liked it a lot. I think, um, and I saw Steve and Dustin more as 
peers in this season yeah. rather than like a mentor and mentee. Yeah. Which maybe that's what it was. Maybe that, that was the difference is now still, he's kind of on the same. I still think one of my favorite scenes is whenever Dustin returns from space camp and he sees Steve for the first time and he's like, oh, you got the job. And they do their secret handshake and yeah. it ends with them stabbing each other with like yeah. <laughs> invisible lightsabers. Yeah. yeah I don't know cool. why. That's one of my favorite parts because it really shows Steve's evolution from being like the jock yeah. bad guy in, from season one into one of these how many uh, kids are nerds. you friends with? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I like Robin more as the jerk coworker than almost than I like her now. But, yeah. Um, moving on to Lucas. Lucas, I think, uh, has always been generally the soldier, mm -hmm. the the foot soldier kind of. I mean, whenever he signed his contract, he made sure to put in there that he could wear a camo bandana. So yeah. that's why his character always wears one. But I did not see him wear it this season, and I hope that they change that. It'd be cool. You know, there's supposed to be a big time jump to season five. And actually, I don't think it's going to come out until 2024. Mm -hmm. But I know there's going to be a big time jump and they're they're going to be maybe even out of high school. But I really hope that, you know, I don't know what, what the world's going to be like with living with this huge crack in the earth in Hawkins. Um, but I hope that kind of, maybe things are calmed down or they're, they're not that involved. And Lucas busts out the, the camo bandana to, to wear um, whenever it's time to go to work. Yeah, I'll say uh, about Lucas's season. I've the only season I found him to be annoying really was season one, um, and then every other season I think they really matured him some. And I was very proud of his character in this season, um, especially at the end whenever he has to fight. Um, I don't even remember his name, but that like basketball, play, like the captain of the basketball team. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't remember his name. Chrissy's either. boyfriend. Um, but either way, whenever he had to fight him, that that really showed like. He's standing his ground because he's there to protect Max and like he's not this like wimpy, whiny kid like he was in season one. Like he's like you said, he's the soldier. He's he's there to protect, even if it means like, you know, he's not as strong or he's not he's not as capable of doing, um, you know, doing everything. He still stands there and he stands his ground. So I was I was pretty proud of him. Um, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a speed round. Will. Um, I, I thought his character was fine. I didn't like dislike him in this season. Um, there was some dialogue that was like a little odd, but um, a little bit. I think uh, what they're trying to do with him is fine, I guess. Um, but when he he, I don't know. He's he's not in season one that much, and it's I don't his, know. It, it went it dynamic. went from being yeah. It is. It, I wouldn't say he's a side character. He's still one of the guys. He has as much screen time and dialogue as everyone else, but. He just, I don't know. He's not that that trigger warning that the mind flayer is coming or anything like that anymore. Um, yeah. He's still getting that feeling, though, about Vecna and things like that. Like, he's still grabbing the back of his neck. Like, I wish that would kind of go away. I want to see him. What? I think in D&D &D he plays the sorcerer. Yeah, he's, um, he's a wizard. Yeah, I think he needs to be that kind of character in reality. Mm -hmm. And we'll see. I think... He's maybe the weakest character arc. Mm -hmm. um, Which they can fix. <clears throat> yeah, but I think it might be doing that on purpose where he's going to come out to be the hero. Like right now he's the no, the one that no one counts on to accomplish any any task. Yeah, he, he's been the one that's kind of been under duress through, yeah. throughout the series. And he even says like people treat me different and, you know, they, they see me as being weaker. And like he even addresses that in one of the seasons. Um, and... I think uh I think 
what he does well is he, I mean, even whenever we see them at the roller skating rink and it's like, no, you're lying to them. Like yeah. he's, he, because of all this trauma that he's gone through, he's still trying to like hold on to th- how things were whenever he was younger. And so what that translates to is he is able to ground uh, the group and say like, Hey, like this is, this is what we started out as. This is what we believed in. And these are the morals and the ideals that we stuck to, uh, stuck to. And those are changing. Like you guys are out of line here. Um, you know, you're lying to each other. You guys shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't do that. So he kind of, he kind of is a constant there that helps yeah. on All right. with Sp- those things. Speed round, Nancy and Jonathan probably not going to end up together. I think Steve's going to end up with Nancy probably eventually. Yep. Robin, I don't know. She's like the comedy relief right now. Erica, she's semi-annoying but useful. Um, Murray, I think his character arc's funny. Yeah. Although, um, I don't know. He kind of doesn't expect himself to be the cool the cool guy but he plays it off i mean when he, when earlier seasons when they go to his place he's like in a robe and stuff he's yeah. kind of he reminds me of that guy from transformers yeah a little bit i don't know i don't know what he reminds me of but he just like has confidence but yeah. nothing really to back that confidence up except for maybe some karate but <laughs> you know and and some russian language lessons but uh i like murray I don't like the adults. Hopper's the best, but I really didn't care for him this season. Like, he has a cool arc, and he does cool things, but he's not, like, that mentor to everyone, and he's not, like... Yeah, I, I really liked him as a detective, and you didn't get to see that because he was yeah, trying okay, to escape. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah I, I agree with you there. I like Hopper as a detective. Um, yeah. and, and so Murray kind of was the coolest, actually, this season out of the adults. Yep. Um, Scott... Skipping, let's go to Dr. Brenner. He's like the devil on the shoulder, and Dr. Owens is like the angel on the shoulder for sure. Yeah. I think they're the, the two sides of the same coin, um, kind of like how they work together. One's pushing Eleven in a negative way to try and get her to a level that's acceptable, and Owens is more cautious. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, and then Max. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, skipped over Max. No, it's, it's good. She, that, I actually really liked, I liked her story. It explained why she... I like that they explained why she was so distanced. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, out of everybody, I think she gets the most screen time this season. So she's the most important. You I know, like the letter to, she had, trying too. To, yeah, they're trying to keep her alive. Uh, she has one of the two cool scenes, um, and we'll see what happens to her. If they're going to do, do a big time jump, they could skip over her recovery if she's not brain dead. Yeah. But um, I think she is definitely my favorite, aside from Steve. Steve, yeah. Steve's my favorite, and I think jumping to to Steve, he is still like the cool guy. I wish that whenever they had that plan, it kind of would have worked out a little bit better. Uh, it kind of sucked they had this plan going, and Nancy, Robin, and Steve were gonna attack Vecna while he was like in hibernation almost. Yeah, um, and they all got tied up on the wall, and they didn't show them for like half an episode, and it was I don't know. I thought it was kind of yeah, a, that was that was a little weird. Upsetting weird cop out um and like the entire time like the vines are like around their neck so yeah it just feels yeah that that feels a little bit odd um it does i mean if vecna wanted to kill them he could have and it just uh, didn't uh, it's just a weird like writing thing to where let's know. just keep these characters busy i um, i think i think when you have a cast of really 
really good characters like this, it's hard to have everyone have a super impactful moment. So they yeah. had to pick and choose their battles. And Steve, been, ha- Steve has had moments like that in previous seasons, and they left Eddie yeah. to have a moment like that would've in this been, one. Would have been cool if Vecna like opened up the house like Monster House and like it ate them. Yeah. And instead of being like vined up to where the house could kill them, they're like trying to fight their way out of the basement or some shit. Yeah. I thought that would have been better, but yeah, that would have been cool. But it, I think just give I, them something to do. Cause like they're tied up on the wall and like the next time you see them is like 45 minutes later and they're still there. Yeah. Like, that, like w- they, that was they, frustrating. They, they got all armored up and spent time montaging them, getting prepped to go down there. And Steve has a double sided ax that ends up, I mean, they throw the Molotov cocktails and they do accomplish what they were there for, but it just, I don't know. Yeah. It, it could have been a little bit cooler. Like they, they had other things to show you. So let's, pause this group in a way all right let's wrap them up in vines yeah and that'll that'll make sense all right move on yeah um but but the stuff that happened with eddie while it was in the upside down was a bit more of a a payoff and i think had they not had that in the season or if they tried to have everyone have a cool moment yeah it wouldn't have had his character arc feel as good as it was yeah and even though we're seeing the events happen linearly they are some of them are happening simultaneously um so Real quick, uh, I saw the one twist, that one in Vecna or Henry uh, twist coming for quite a while. Um, I like the I like the reveal. I like the reveal at the end of the first part of the season where um, he's kind of in his hibernation state and they they pan in on him and then the yep. camera rotates and it shows his wrist and the, the 001 tattoo is there yeah. to reveal that Vecna is... Zero zero one, and uh, I, th- I thought it was cool how they kind of go to reveal that where the kids are. There's a rumor that there is a number one, yeah, and some people say it's a myth, and you know he's powerful, and meanwhile he's he's working there pretty much, yeah. And I I I did see him like in those flashback sequ- sequences. I saw him as being one that was kind of predictable. I did not yeah. draw the conclusion between him and the younger version of him that they show with like Victor Creel and the family in the house. Um, I didn't see them as being the same person, yeah. and I, I had a little bit more suspicion that it could possibly be he could possibly be Vecna, especially like once they reveal him to be the bad, yeah, and things go south. It's like okay, I think I see where this is going, but I, I was surprised by it. My favorite thing this season was like it starts out I think with Doctor Brenner remembering that um, that he was working with one of the one of the kids and gets knocked out, and he goes to goes into the room, everyone's dead but eleven. He says, what have you done? So it's clear, puts in your head that Eleven killed everyone. Uh, yeah. And they, they eventually reveal what really happened, which I, I like the I like the, how that plot works out. Yeah, um, it was very like Christopher Nolan-esque. Yeah. Set expectations and then shatter them and it's cooler. Yeah. Yep. Argyle is comedy relief and he's fine with yeah, that. Yeah, he was funny. Him and Jonathan's relationship is okay. Um, but then let's uh, just talk about Eddie real quick and then we can move on to another show. Yeah. Um, so Eddie, I think for a character just appearing in one season, he's up, he's up there above Bob probably for having a character arc in a single season to where you kind of care for him. He goes from being like the wimpy dork drug dealer that you don't care for to someone who, um, you wish didn't die. Yeah. I think, um, so yeah, you're, you're rooting for him. I, I love that they set that up in like, even how he, like the, the way he does like the horn thing yeah. whenever he's playing D and D yeah. and stuff like that. It's like it's like, oh okay, well, I don't really care for this guy. And then immediately you're like you're like, well, he's just using this stuff to mask over the fact that he has a pretty cruddy life. Yeah. And he's genuinely a nice guy. 
but everyone just sees him as that misfit who can't pass high school and so then you you really you really feel for him but. yeah like how he goes from being the guy that ran away to the guy that um doesn't uh in just a single season yeah uh, that's a pretty good character arc i mean i think he i think that if you look at him in detail, he goes on that hero's journey we talked about before. Yeah. That's a general plot in film and storytelling. Um, you know, he has that 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 disbelief, that call to to the journey. Um, and it takes a while, but I think that, you know, he he goes into the cave and comes out of the cave reborn. Those are all steps in the hero's journey. Yep. Um and then that sacrifice and then, and for then, the greater uh, good. Yeah, then he dies. Uh so yeah, and last thing, just to wrap up Stranger Things, I am very happy that they actually use the the alternate version of Separate Ways in the in the season because they had it in the uh, in the trailer that music. Yeah. Um, and I can't stand whenever they have really awesome music in a trailer yeah. and then they don't put it anywhere. Like not just with Stranger Things because I think they've been yeah, pretty good about I it, agree. but they uh, they do that all the time. It's I was like, happy with Thor. They put in a yeah. lot of GNR. That's yep. in the trailer. Um, yeah, so I was very happy that they at least included that, even if it was just briefly in Stranger Things, because that was a really good, yeah, like remix. But that is a big, a big, a big pet peeve of mine as well, is whenever there's an awesome version or an awesome cut of a song that's in a trailer and it's not in the film. Yeah. Um. So. But yeah, all in all, I would give, um, I would give season four of Stranger Things probably a nine out of ten or an eight and a half out of ten. Yeah, I'm I, up there like an eight. It. I'm up there, yeah, seven or eight, maybe. Yeah, I'm. I'll I'll give it an eight. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I'm probably at eight, eight point five. So yeah, it was good. Yeah, um, excited for to see what they do with the last season. I feel like the fifth one is gonna be kind of bittersweet, and knowing that it's the final season, I would expect um either more episodes or if it's the same amount, longer episodes, and I would also expect the problem to be resolved in next to last episode and then the finale to be like the goodbye yeah yeah um, which i'm i'm excited for i'm glad that they put a cap on it and said hey we're done after this because yeah. i i can't stand when there's a good franchise or a good property that goes on too long and it gets yeah. like muddied so but uh start of a new property um which we might be seeing some more of is the terminal list yeah um what uh, time stamp are we at now, Greg? We are at uh, 27 minutes after the after the break, so we're at like about an hour. All right, you want to cut it here and then just do a little uh, a little episode on Terminal List real quick? Yeah, we can do that. Okay, let's yeah. cut it. All right, guys. Okay, yeah. Um, at the end of this episode, I just want to say thank you um, to some of our consistent listeners that I've talked to, um, being David Pacey, uh, Corey Beacom, and Alex DeRosa. I know that you guys have all listened to the show at least a couple episodes. They're all of them. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you guys enjoy it. So hopefully you, you like this episode. The only constant listener I know is John Shipton. So thanks. Yeah. My one friend. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's been cool. I was looking forward to this and, um, yeah, uh, come, come right back cause we're going to be talking about the terminal list. So this is, uh, just a tangent, uh, with Tyler Boer and you're Greg Miller. Yeah. Well, sorry. I screwed that up. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, <laughs> This is uh, Just a Tangent with Greg Miller. And Tyler Brewer. And I almost did it again, but caught myself. All right, I'll catch you guys later. <laughs> Frankly, my dear, I don't get gonna so need a bigger boat. So we're going, we don't need my dear. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Nope, was a bad choice. You're killing me, Smalls. So you're telling me there's a change. Life moves pretty fast.